WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com/wnyc and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. This is All of It. I'm Allison Stewart, and we'll close out this week with a conversation about the movie Till, which centers on the heroism of Emmett Till's mother after her 14-year-old son was murdered. When the film came out, a Washington Post review said that Danielle Deadweiler's performance as Mamie Till Bradley, quote, holds our attention, our gaze, and our hearts. Peter Travers of ABC News called the film essential viewing and added that Deadweiler's acting was, quote, too good to let a Murali turn black trauma into cheesy Oscar bait. Nonetheless, the film was snubbed by the Oscars this year, and people had thoughts about it. But the Oscars aren't the only awards game in town. Chinoya Chuka was nominated for Outstanding Director and won a Best Screenplay with her co-writers at the Black Reel Awards. Danielle Deadweiler's performance earned her acting nominations at the BAFTAs, the Critics' Choice Awards, and the SAG Awards, which will take place this weekend, where she is up for Best Film Actress. The film Till takes place around the time of Emmett Till's lynching, 1955. But it wasn't until 2022 that the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act was signed into law by President Joe Biden. This month, President Biden hosted a White House screening of the film Till with school children and senators in attendance. Let's hear a little bit of his remarks before that screening. I'm honored to host uh, all of you this special evening during Black History Month. uh, For a simple reason. History matters. History matters. Hi, guys. How are you? You all students? Thank you. Well, good to see you. Welcome to the White House. Thank you. Now, remember me when one of you were president and they say, Joe Biden's in the waiting room. Don't say Joe who, okay? <laughs> all right. Anyway, to remember history is to shine a light on the good, the bad, the truth, and who we are as a nation. And our history shows that while darkness and, don- and denialism uh, hide uh, very much, uh, they erase nothing. They can't erase the past. And they shouldn't. Only with truth comes healing and justice and uh, repair and another step forward in a, for that promise we all made to have never reached a more perfect union. But we've never fully given up on it. That's why we can't just choose to learn what we want to know and what we shouldn't. We have to learn what we should know. We should know everything about our history. And that's the great nations do. Great nations. And we're a great nation. And that's why history matters so much. You know, that's why this film matters so much. 
The film Till invites us to consider Mamie Till Bradley Mobley as a full person, a Chicagoan, a fiancé, a secretary, and the single mother of a son she loved fiercely. We see their bond in the film and her attempts to protect Emmett in 1950s America, especially when he wants to spend the summer out of the city and visits his sharecropping cousins in the South. Let's listen to a clip from the film Till of Mamie telling Emmett how to behave. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now you're going to miss your train. Bo, when you get down there... Oh, not again, Mama. I've already been to Mississippi. Only one time before, and you started a fight with another little boy. He was picking on me. You're in the right to stand up for yourself, but that's not what I'm talking about. They have a different set of rules for Negroes down there. Are you listening? Yes. You have to be extra careful with white people. You can't risk looking at them the wrong way. I know. Oh. Be small down there. In spite of Mamie's warnings, her greatest fears came true. When director Chinyonye Chuku joined me when the film was released, I started by asking what lesser-known facts she learned about the murder of Emmett Till and its aftermath that shaped the way she thought about making this film. I mean, I would say the majority of the story in the film is one that most of us don't know about. Um, I didn't know about much. I didn't know much about Mamie's journey after Emmett was lynched. And I think a lot of us don't know much about her as a human being and and her private self versus the public self. I had never heard of Dr. T.R.M. Howard before um, beginning research for this film or the community of Mound Bayou. I I, I knew of many people who are part of the story, but I didn't really know who they were as people and the specific strategies they employed as part of their activism and advocacy work. And so there was so much that I learned. Um, but one of the things that I really valued learning about and through meeting, getting, forming relationships with members of the Till family and diving deeply in the research over the years is just really learning more about who Mamie was as a person who was her, what was her private self like? Who was she when she was by herself versus with just Emmett versus her friends, et cetera, et cetera. What did the family tell you that was useful? Oh, so much. I mean, one of the things that Miss Deborah Watts, who's a cousin of Mamie, told me was, and this is something that I made sure I, I wanted to evoke in the film, is like part of Mamie's message before she passed was making sure that as we are doing the work, as we are doing the work of change agents, whatever that looks like in our own spaces, we must, we must know that even if all of the change we want doesn't happen in our lifetime, that we still must hold on to hope and possibility that the work we do in our lifetime can help future generations. And so that really, that really inspired me to ground the film in a level of hope and possibility um, and, and empowerment um, after the verdict, you know, um, that we that we know what the verdict is going to be, but that shouldn't take away or diminish the hope that we, for possibility. And that was really valuable to me. And that really stuck with me. Mamie and Emmett lived in Chicago. And it was a common practice to send kids to see family in the South. There's nothing really that unusual about that. Uh, where was Mamie in her life right before she was ready to send her son to see family? Mamie was an independent, working, middle-class Black woman 
in Chicago. <laughs> and she had, she was in her social clubs. She had her sister friend. She had her family. She had her church family. She was very active. She was, she was very, um, she, she had a full rounded life and she made sure that Emmett lived like a child and he walked in a level of confidence and power and self-empowerment as Mamie walked in confidence and self-empowerment and carried herself like that. And, and, you know, we, we, she, what inspired me to write that this, the speech in Harlem in the film is, you know, Mamie has written in her memoir that before Emmett was taken from her, she just, she was content in her bubble and she didn't concern herself with the lives of, Black people in other parts of the world, other parts of the country. And then her bubble burst when Emmett was taken from her and her, her life changed. And it it thrust her unintentionally into the life of or the journey of becoming an activist. In the film, they have a really special bond. She coddles him a bit. He brings life and light to her life. What were you hoping the audience would understand about Mamie and Emmett's relationship? If they loved each other deeply, that they cared for each other, they confided in each other. You know, Mamie had written in her memoir that she wrote, that she co-wrote, that they almost kind of had a brotherly, sisterly relationship, um, you know, as he was growing up. And Alma was the one who was the matriarch in the family and the more of the disciplinarian. Um, but they, but I, I really want audiences to really see and feel the love, the deep love and humanity that they had for each other. Emmett loved his mother so deeply and, and really took on this kind of quote unquote man of the house role and was fiercely protective of her as she was fiercely protective of him. And things aren't perfect in Chicago. It is 1955. There's a scene when she walks into a department store and is questioned by a white manager. But she has agency there. She can she can stand up for herself. She's really concerned about what will happen in the South. Let's listen to a clip about this is maybe is worried about Emmett when he's going to go down to Mississippi. Her mother, Alma, who you mentioned, is played by Whoopi Goldberg, uh, tries to ease her fears. This is from the movie Till. What's wrong, Mamie? We've never been apart this long. He's just going to see his cousins. It's not a bad thing for him to know where he come from. Chicago is all he needs to know. I don't want him seeing himself the way those people are seen down there. Those people like me? Even you left Mississippi, Mama. Mamie, Bo is growing up. You're going to have to let him go. All right, I know that face. That is the face of mama. Mind your business and go home. Where's my pocketbook? Mm-hmm. Right here. Oh, there it is. You need to get you some rest, too. Come okay. on, baby. I'll call you tomorrow. All right. Mamie calls uh, Bo. It's their nickname, a special nickname for him. What did you want people to understand about Northern racism? circa 1955 versus Southern racism and the way that black people were able to move through the world in those two different locations. Yeah. I wanted to first make clear that racism is not exclusive to the South and racism looks and affects us in different ways. Um, there is, 
a white liberal racism <laughs> and a very overt racism mm-hmm. at times in the North as well. Um, and it, I, I present that in the film in, in through, you know, racial profiling. It's this, it's, and it's, it's, it has the veneer of politeness, you know, the polite racism um, that still affects the psyche and, and Mamie is still very much aware of. Um, and so I wanted to show the, the layers and the complexities of what racism looks like and how it's still deeply embedded in the fabric of all parts of this country and all parts of this world. And sometimes in, in, in certain spaces, it looks more overt mm. and explicit, like in the South and has um, different kinds or different sets of negotiations that Black people or people of color are having to make regionally. Um, and so the negotiations that we see Preacher make in the film are different kinds of negotiations that Mamie is making when it comes to um, the effects of ra- how, how racism shows itself um, versus Dr. Howard. And mm-hmm. so I just, I wanted to show that explicit or implicit it is, it has psychological consequences and it's still deep. It's, it's still, effect, it's still deeply woven into every facet of this country. It just looks differently. And we walk in it and certain people walk in it differently depending on your station in life. Those four words, can I help you in a store? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's loaded, isn't it? Right. <laughs> it's loaded. It's loaded. And, um, and, and it, it, it's, it's, some it, it's sometimes harder to pinpoint, but it's there, you know, mm-hmm. and and you feel it. My and guess. sometimes because it is harder to pinpoint, it makes it harder to to explain to people. My guest is Chinoye Chuko. She is the co-writer and director of Till, which is now playing in theaters. You and your team had to make two pivotal decisions, Chinoye, whether or not to show the lynching and whether and when and how long to show Emmett Till's disfigured, beaten, shot up, tortured body. You do not show the lynching. We hear it in the distance. Um, it's really it, it's it's a really interesting visual because it's off in the back. You can kind of see a light in a barn. Um, how did you decide on that choice? How did you arrive at that choice? Well, I knew that that was a choice I was going to make from the moment that I first met with the producers and and presented them my narrative and directorial take on the film. I knew that I if I would I wasn't interested in showing it because the story that I've always wanted to tell was that about Mamie's journey her journey and not only just her fight for justice for her son, but her journey in becoming an, act, an activist. Um, and, and also it's a love story between Mamie and her child. And that story I wanted to tell did not need, did not require showing the physical violence inflicted upon Emmett. Um, I also, by me not showing it, it was also a way for me to show care for audiences, show care for the story, also show care for myself as a black woman. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I don't want to see it. I don't want to recreate it. Um, it's not necessary. I knew, though, that in terms of showing Emmett's body after the lynching, I knew the question for me wasn't whether or not I was going to do it, because I needed to as an extension of Mamie's decision to have the world witness what happened to her son. It was more of how would I do it? And what I arrived at quickly on early on in crafting my directorial vision was my approach was going to always center Mamie's emotional perspective in seeing her son's body. 
which is why when we have the scene where Mamie is looking at Emmett's body, his body is obstructed for the beginning Mm -hmm. part. And we're just with Mamie in her emotional space. And then when we slowly see parts of his body, the camera does not take on voyeur and objectify the body. Rather, it's a humanizing lens where we are seeing the connection that Mamie is having with her son. And then, um, and so, and we see, and so I knew I wanted to see, uh, we need to see his body through Mamie's emotional point of view, a humanizing point of view, and sparingly, (laughs) yet effectively. There's a really interesting detail in that when when she sees the body, um, Mm -hmm. the men around her are holding handkerchiefs up to their nose. Mm-hmm. And all the men in the room are reacting to the smell of, of a dead body. And she never does. She, mm-hmm. she in fact, she strokes the body. She touches mm-hmm. the, her son. She gets close to her son. I thought yeah. that was just a really interesting detail, that that is how she would react, whereas everyone else was was sort of having this this other sense, which makes sense. It's, a, it's one of your senses engaged. She, something in her as a mother overrid overrided (laughs) i'm not sure what the right word is she sees that's her son Mm -hmm. she sees she feels her son's energy she's connecting with her child you know and and that's how she and and so it comes back in her testimony how she knows that that's her son a mother knows Mm -hmm. and it's a connection that she has with him in his body that nobody else in the room has Overrode. It's going to make me crazy if I didn't say that out loud. Okay. Um, there's another. <laughs> there's another thing that um, I, sitting in the theater and watching it, um, I was very interested in the pacing, because the minute you sit down as a theater goer, you know what's coming, and it's hard. It's it was hard. It's and I was very curious about how you decided with you, your team, your editor, your your co-writers, what length of time you were going to leave before it gets to Emmett's murder? Well, I, you know, my approach in the writing, it was very structural. So I knew that the midpoint of the story, because this is about Mamie's journey, right? So she's our protagonist. So the midpoint, the climactic moment is her moment of decision, where she, she, after seeing his body, Mm -hmm. she's, she, decide she's going to have the open casket funeral. So that's, I knew that had to be the midpoint. And I knew that the first act, I wanted to spend a significant amount of time showing, establishing who Mamie is, but also who Emmett was as a human being and the relationship they had, right? So the first act was going to lead us to, I knew, I, I knew by the end of the first act, he needed to be he needed to, he needed to be abducted. Right. And that's, and then that's going to propel Mamie into her journey in the second act. Um, so I was looking at things from a narrative structural level, um, when figuring out where in the story, where in the timeline, his abduction and lynching will take place. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Have you sat in an audience in a theater with an audience yet? I have. I've sat in uh, several audiences, several very different audiences. And uh, 
it's it's an, it's an incredible experience watching it with an audience. I mean, that's one of the many reasons why it's so important for people to see the film in theaters because it it, it is a communal experience. It's a powerful communal experience that every single audience every single audience I've sat in. You really the, the emotional energy in the audience is palpable. I mean, what was your experience like? I mean, did you watch it in an with an audience? I did, and I have a fourteen-year-old son, and uh, mm. I cry. I wept openly and loudly. <laughs> in this film for a good long time it was really yeah i i didn't care who saw me heard did me. you feel the communal <laughs> experience when you uh, watched it you know it was it was i felt tension in the mm. film mm-hmm. in the theater maybe that's because it's new york and it was downtown but it was there was more yeah. tension uh and the need to pay attention, even if you didn't want to, in that sense mm-hmm. that what Amy says is we have to look at the body. One of the yes. lines, we have to look. This is important for people to look. It was that sense of it's important to think about this now. Um, yeah. But, oh, yeah, no, I was just busy crying. I was just busy crying. I mean, it, it's a powerful experience, ex- like having that collective witnessing experiencing that collective witnessing that Mamie has talked about and, and, and galvanized us, galvanized the world to do. And so I've watched this with small audiences. I've watched it in audiences of 1200 people. I've, hmm. You know, there've been kids who've watched it. I, I mean, watched it with certain members of the national, of the NAACP who worked alongside Mamie at the time. Um, you know, it's, it's been, it's, it's, Every single time, it's a really powerful kind of spiritual experience. It, it's uh, the collective witnessing is really important. And on that on that point, one of your decisions as a filmmaker is uh, we do see Emmett Till's body in the state it was mm-hmm. in, and there's a very effective use of the camera recording people's faces as they approach the mm-hmm. casket. So we see how people respond to seeing that body, all of the different kinds of responses. Was that something that was always in your your director's treatment from the beginning? Did you come upon that? I knew that that was, that was always in the planning when, when I was um, in prep. I knew that it, it, it's, it, I wanted see, the, the, seeing the, the witnessing, the reaction to people, that's a, that, was, that was a critical part of the galvanizing, the galvanizing that Mamie did, you know, and, and, and the way that people responded and emotionally responded to what they saw, it was important to capture. My guest is Chinoye Juku. The name of the film is Till. It's really important to discuss the casting of the film and Mm. Danielle Deadweiler, who is taking on the role of Mamie. How did she come to the project? She sent in an audition tape. <laughs> a very mm. traditional process. We were looking for months, and then she just sent in a, a tape, a self tape, and it blew me away. You know, and when I cast actors, um, particularly actors in leading roles, one of the things I look for is can they communicate a story with just their eyes? Can they command and hold the frame without saying a word? Are they able to and willing to go underneath and in between the words on the page? And Danielle really checked all those boxes just by her audition tape. And I called her back for a director session using the scene where Mamie is looking at Emmett's body in the funeral home. There's no dialogue, but there were a lot of emotional and psychological beats there that lead to Mamie's moment of decision by the end of that scene. And the wailing that she does, it's not, it's a different kind of wailing than when she's 
receiving Emmett's body at the train station. Mm -hmm. It's a release. And so during my director session with Danielle, we talked about all of that and really got underneath those beats and really figured out the layers, the emotional, psychological layers and um, unpacking the crying and unpacking the nonverbal action. And doing that work with her really showed me that, oh, she's ready and willing and able to really go there and go deep. And she's a fantastic actor who checks all the boxes and holds a frame. And so, um, and then she was cast and we spent, we spent several months before shooting, going through every single emotional beat in the script multiple times, diving into the research and talking every day about discoveries that were made and, and, and really going in. And we were really just really partners in this. And, and, um, and then by the time we got on set, Danielle had such an inherent emotional and psychological understanding of who Mamie Till, uh, Mamie Till Mobley was and what her journey in the film was going to be. And she just took it to a whole nother level. She transcended and channeled Mamie mind, body and spirit. I, she, was, she was meant to play this role. This is your studio debut. What's something that you, you learned in the process that you didn't know about having a studio <laughs> film? <laughs> <laughs> how much time do you have? <laughs> I know. How much do you got a couple hours? Um, you know, I have to say the approach to the work from a craft perspective has, is the, was the same for me. You know, I, 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 um, uh, I remember, I think a couple years ago I had, I had breakfast with Gina Prince Bythewood, who's uh. just a phenomenal director and kind of like a mm-hmm. shero to me. And I remember her saying to me, no matter what the budget is for whatever film you do, you always have to stay in the work and approach the craft the same way It's hmm. about the craft. And I really, I really took that to heart and just really focused on the craft, no matter how much money or resources or toys I have. Right. So the process was the same creatively, but I mean, it's a completely different infrastructure. It is, it, it, it is a, it is a system. Hmm. <laughs> And I, I have to say, many people, uh, many people warned me about mm-hmm. the studio experience. But I, honestly, I am not just saying this. I had an incredible time working with the studio. The studio partners, led by Alana Mayo, the president of Ryan Pictures, they believed in my vision, in my artistry from the very beginning, and I had full creative autonomy. That's amazing. And, you know, now granted, everybody, everybody from top to bottom at, that, at, at the studio was watching everything I mm-hmm. was doing. <laughs> but I had creative autonomy because they really were believing what I was doing. And as we were shooting more, they're watching the dailies meticulously. Um, they're like, okay, we see it. And everything she told us she was going to do, she's executing. And, um, and so it, they were great partners. And it was, it was just, in, it was. I was pleasantly surprised that they really supported this very specific vision that I had from the beginning. And so I learned, a, but I did learn about a lot about the business of filmmaking. You know, no. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I shot Clemency, I didn't know when or if it was going to get distributed. Um, and so knowing that, you know, there's a release date that this is going to be seen, that there's going to be infrastructure around getting the film out there. Um, it's 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 it was exciting. You know, um, I, but I, I learned a lot about the business of filmmaking and the the industry of filmmaking and the infrastructure around um, 
the film business. I, it was it was a great learning experience, and I'm still learning to this day. That was my conversation with Chinyane Chuku, the co-writer and director of the film Till. The star of the film Till, Daniel Deadweiler, is nominated for a SAG Award. The SAG Awards are this weekend. And that is all of it on the radio for today. Hope to see you tonight at the New York Public Library, 6 p.m. for Get Lit with All of It with Marlon James and Tiger Paw. If you want to come on down, wnyc.org slash get lit. You can get your free tickets or you can find the link to live stream. All of it is produced by Andrea Duncan Mao, Kate Hines, Jordan Loft, Simon Close, Zach Goddard Cohen, El Malik Anderson, and Luke Green. Our intern is Catherine St. Martin. Megan Ryan is the head of live radio. Our engineers are Juliana Fonda and Jason Isaac. Lussis Jackson does our music. I'm Allison Stewart. I appreciate you listening and I appreciate you. And I will meet you back here next time. WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com/wnyc and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off.